Hello, and thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Billy Newman Photo Podcast. This photograph comes from the year 2012, just after the solar eclipse that that we drove out to see in Northern California. It was one of those annular solar eclipses. I should show some photos from that sometime soon, too, of, uh, of how cool that eclipse was. And so on the drive back from that eclipse, we did this big camping trip with about seven or eight people, and we made this stop on State Line Road on the, the border between California and Oregon near a wildlife wetland area where a lot of geese go to, uh, to migrate to. I think this was in May, but uh, while the clouds were passing, we had this light breakthrough, and I had Dave walk along the road. And uh, I was trying to play with backlight a little bit, like you can see the sun breaking through right behind, uh, right behind his knee. And uh, we had, his, had him throw his arm out extra, extra wide to the back with his thumb out to get the right perspective for his thumb to kind of show that idea of, uh, of being a hitchhiker on the road. But it was just kind of a fun concept photo. And I always liked how this one worked out with some of the, the backlighting and some of the, some of the lighting in the, in the shadows and in the light in the sky up above. You can see more of my work at billynewmanphoto.com. You can check out some of my photo books on Amazon. I think you can look up uh, Billy Newman under the authors section there and see uh, some of the photo books on film, on the desert, on surrealism, on camping. Some cool stuff over there. I put up a couple photos this last week, like that teepee ring I was talking about in Eastern Oregon. And, um, and teepee is kind of a colloquial, or, you know, it's like, it's a word we would understand for a canvas hut made to be a dwelling. I don't know. So I'm sure there's lots of different forms of that. I was looking up a little bit more after that. And it looks like, it, I think that site, like that, that teepee ring site that I was looking at, I think it was established like 2,500 years ago. Maybe that's correct. It could be 2500 BC. It could be all sorts of things. There's, there's, uh, there's information out there. I think from the University of Oregon, one of the researchers that was there did their dissertation in the early 90s on an archaeological site that was near that area. And they found remnants of the Clovis people. I think I mentioned that this last time. The Clovis people was that, was that group that came through after like the land bridge, you know, like the, like the original kind of, kind of group of people that came through the area. Um, and so for a long time, they didn't really consider that they were in the Oregon region or the Oregon territory, but there's a lot of evidence. I mean, I think like the Fort Rock shoe, if you found, you can see uh, pictures of that. I think it's like a, you know, it's a, it's an interesting artifact, but I think it was dated to like 12,000 years ago. It's, it's like one of the oldest human remnants out there, but it was this cache of shoes that was out by little Fort Rock. And then I think there's another one out uh, near Paisley, another set of caves where there was a cache found. Uh, so there's some really interesting stuff out there. But today um, I posted a photograph of, uh, of one of the rocks that I found out there. It's just kind of a cool two-toned uh, piece. I don't know if it's Jasper or if it's just something else like that. But it's this cool two-toned piece of rock, I think Jasper, uh, that kind of flows from, from like an auburn sort of orange color into a deep red color at the top of it. It was just kind of a cool thing. And, and what's cool about Eastern Oregon is, um, is you can just walk around out there and there's so much of the geology exposed. There's so much land exposed. There's a lot of really cool stuff that you can walk around and find. There are just some really interesting pieces that you can go about and find uh, that show a lot of the, the geological history of the past out here, like um, like where obsidian came from in Oregon. It's really interesting when you start finding uh, like naturally formed obsidian in some places. I think like after Mazama, that was a big one. There's another area called Glass Mountain out in Eastern Oregon. But Oregon was a really big uh, location of it. I think 
specifically because of the Cascade Mountains, there's a lot of volcanic activity that created that. And it's interesting too, because I, I suppose that, I suppose because I've read that, uh, that as archaeologists like look at the type of stone it is, even further back toward like the Mississippi, they find, um, they find artifacts that are made of obsidian and they can trace that stone source back to the West Coast, which is really interesting. I think it's sort of um, an indicator of some of the more established trade routes that they had, where they would trade flint stone and obsidian stone um, across tribes, and it, it would end up migrating for you know thousands of miles across the United States. But it's really interesting when you start kind of picking up on some of that, and uh, and way cool when you get back out there into Eastern Oregon when uh, when that stuff's exposed on the ground, you can walk around and and like oh well look at this look at these types of look at this type of soil look at this kind of rim rock look at these petroglyphs oh man there's lots of Indian remains out there it's really interesting. So all that stuff super fascinating to me, and and a lot of it we like I was mentioning before we don't really get to see over here in the Willamette Valley uh, from the Kalapuya Indians that were over here, and a huge population just just a thousand years ago, all from Eugene to Portland, there was a bajillion people um, that kind of that that populated this valley because it's so fertile. I'm sure you know it's a great place to live, uh, or it's a it's a pretty suitable moderate climate in a lot of ways, and uh, man, way better than the east side of the Cascades. Oh be rough out there imagine like a winter out in burns before there's a burns yikes that's what i was hearing about is uh yeah lots of stuff out there in all those lakes but uh, but really interesting to go uh, to go check out and look at and kind of learn more about that sort of stuff you can check out more information at billynewmanphoto.com you can go to billynewmanphoto.com forward slash support if you want to help me out and participate in the value for value model that uh, we're running this podcast with. If uh, you receive some value out of some of the stuff that I was talking about, you're welcome to uh, help me out and send some value my way through the portal at billynewmanphoto.com forward slash support. You can also find more information there about uh, Patreon and the way that I use it. If you're interested or or feel more comfortable using Patreon, that's patreon.com forward slash billynewmanphoto. As we move into 360 video, it's just real a whole new threshold or 4K 360 video. It's this whole threshold of stuff that uh, I've not really worked on in media before. And I've not really, um, I guess what would it be? Like, I haven't rendered it. Or I haven't, I haven't brought a, a 360 video file. I haven't ever brought a 360 video file into like Final Cut Pro before. So I was trying that out this weekend and I had to upgrade a lot of stuff. I had to upgrade uh, my Mac to uh, Mac OS High Sierra, which has been out for a long time, but I've, I've been kind of delaying on that because I wanted to, well, I just had a stable system and I try and use my computer for work a lot of times. So I really don't try and do updates that I don't have to do with some stuff. And uh, I don't know. It's good that I waited six months to put ICR on it, but it runs fine. It runs stable. And really, I was most interested in trying to work on this 360 video project, which takes Final Cut 10.4, which is uh, where they bring in some of those features for 360 video and VR editing and production. So it was kind of cool trying to check out, but oh my goodness, is that 13-inch MacBook of mine really struggling when it tries to render out even just one minute of footage or when it tries to render in a, a 360 graphic element that's supposed to exist um, you know, in, in, like on a dimensional plane, it's interesting. You can put, you can like put text out into space in the three di- or the, the in the three dimensional. Well, not three dimensional, but in the three sixty space, you can look to the north, let's say, and see words that are printed or you know some kind of graphic that's laid out there and rendered into the 
frame, I guess is what you would call it, or, or into the into the virtual environment. It's just sort of stuck there. And so as you look around, as the video elapses, you'll see you'll see this graphic object layered into the frame. And uh, I can only imagine what kind of what kind of processing it takes to really produce some of those effects in the back end. It's amazing that we're able to make what is it? Equirectilinear images? Equirectilinear, I think is the format. I don't know. It's one of the formats that you see. That's where you see like the stitching of the two 180-degree images sort of melded together. And um, it's really interesting looking at that footage. And I guess a phone is a pretty effective viewer for it in the, in the moment. But uh, I'm looking at, at other stuff like the... Uh, I think it's the Gear, not the Gear VR. Well, there's the Gear VR, the HTC Vive. There's uh, like the Oculus. I think it's Oculus, right? The Oculus VR. There's like a cheap one now. I was really impressed. Or uh, like it was like $200. It was like $199 to get, uh, to get a screen and goggles um, to do some of this uh, 360 video experience. And I'm trying to think about like vis- business ventures that are sort of attached to this with, uh, with a new medium that's sort of approaching. Like I think a couple of years ago was uh, the advent of, um, of aerial drone footage. You know, before then you had to get a helicopter and a gimbal and that's a $100,000 shot to get, to get aerial footage over your property or, you know, whatever it is. And so now it's, it's just so much more... I don't know, possible than it used to be. I, I remember, I remember watching. Uh, I don't know. I think there was like a movie that had this gimbal shot, and they t- they talked about it in the, in the uh, you know the behind the scenes stuff where they had this cable camera that ran for like two hundred yards as it sort of swept in and uh, and sort of did this one shot through this long sweeping intro uh, into like this um, you know this big opening scene. But they had this big cable camera. It ran across a football field, basically you know of a, you know a whole action field. And, it, and they pulled this camera across so it would be this smooth kind of gliding shot that was just a little bit, I don't know, 20, 30 feet above everyone. And they couldn't really pan it with just a crane. So they're talking about technically how they engineered this shot. And this was back in, I don't know, 1999, 2000. And now it's, it's just a, that's an amateur ability where you can get a drone with a gimbal and put it 20 feet in the air and have it follow in for 200, 300 feet and have a, a perfectly still... 4k image that that tracks in on a party or you know looks really um cinematic or you know any anything like that it's just amazing what kind of options there are now with uh, with the way you're able to develop media and so it's cool thinking about uh just the level or the simplicity that we'll be able to to work in rendering or work in producing 360 or virtual reality footage or drone footage 10 years on from now like um if you think about it for a moment like 10 years ago it was pretty hard to to drop in high, like high definition footage onto your laptop or computer uh, to like render out. About 2008, April 2008, May 2008. That was still like a pretty comp. There was, it was starting to happen. HD or you know amateurly recorded HD footage was starting to happen, but really it was it was pretty rare to get HD cameras on the market for inexpensive prices uh, in that era. It was still all standard definition stuff. I mean, while I was in college uh, doing new media stuff, all the camera project or you know all the video projects that we worked on were all in standard def it was really a, a an interesting invention that we switched over to 16 by 9 for for a lot of the you know the, the standard output of a lot of the files that we'd render when i started uh the first camera like the first camcorder i was really working with uh was a was a canon xl1 
in like the 2002 to 2006, seven era. And uh, man, a fantastic camera. I think there was like a lot of documentaries that were put together with that. You know, it was a real workhorse kind of professional camera. And I was really fortunate to be a person in Southern Oregon getting to work with that level of video technology back uh, in the early 2000s. It was, it was really a, a cool opportunity that I had. Um, and then kind of thinking about that now, just uh, the level of like, wow, okay, so we moved on from standard definition. We moved on from the four by three aspect ratio. We moved on from tape media or from AVI capture files and, you know, capture card systems. And so all that's kind of uh, transitioned into uh, much simpler uh, H.264 ProRes file systems, the, the, you know, digital file systems that are easier to upload, easier to, to write to a, a computer. And uh, amazing what processors can do now too just in the, in the the level of of work that they're able to output and what's interesting is like um, this so 10 years ago the difficulty of rendering hd footage that we had that's similar to now 10 years later in 2018 the difficulty i'm having trying to render out this 360 degree footage that's uh, that's been recorded and uh, it's just so much you know you imagine it's like a, a an hd video in front of you now this is a 4k video that's all around you and uh, it just seems like, you know, it just seems like dozens more, um, I don't know, it just seems like a way bigger file to render out. I guess that's really what it is. 4K files are real big. And for this virtual reality 360 thing, it really seems like you need that level of re- resolution so that when you look in any particular spot, uh, you know, through like a VR headset, you get a full resolution image from that, that single vantage point that you're looking at. And um when I was talking earlier about ventures or you know business ventures that I'd like to incorporate into the 360 video idea, I was really thinking a lot about like um, like wedding photography events. So you know there's, there's wedding videographers, but I'm thinking now with um, with like the release of the just this season the release of the the GoPro 360 Fusion, which has um, I think it's like an integrated digital gimbal support. So as you as you move the camera around through three dimensional space. Uh, the, the camera kind of digitally re- reacts to the motion that you've created. And so it sort of stabilizes that. So I guess consider you're, you're walking and you're taking steps. And so you, you kind of have a, a, a trot to the, the motion of the camera. Well, I guess apparently this gimbal is supposed to, this digital gimbal doesn't mechanic or it doesn't, you know, work in the real world, but it just, it takes the video file and it, I guess it's able to gimbal it, whatever that means, but it's able to smooth that out. And uh, stitch it together so that, uh, you know, you kind of lose a lot of that shakiness to the video. I guess they've had stabilization for years, but uh, apparently they're they're explaining at least that it might be a different level of it. So it might be an interesting thing to check out. But what I was hopeful to do was, um, you know, try and do something where you'd you'd record uh, like a a 360 video of, let's say, like a wedding ceremony. And then as as an offer to a bride and groom, you, you give them a headset and you give them the 360 experience so that they can either, I guess, give that to family that wasn't there, perhaps. Really, that's just like a Facebook opportunity in, in a big way, like because you can just share those videos, um, uh, you know, share those videos online and, and kind of see them uh, digitally through the browser, which is a really exciting thing about social media sharing, YouTube 360, Facebook 360. And I think Vimeo 360 are all video sharing platforms where you can you can view that content um, in a browser. I think Chrome works the best for it right now. I had a lot of trouble in Safari viewing 360 browser stuff, but um, but real interesting stuff. And it's been kind of cool. I was trying to think though, yeah, like oh, it'd be cool. Yeah, set up uh, for the you know set up a 360 video, and then years from now you can come back. It goes a big truck, but years from now you can come back and and uh, like put on 
goggles or, or view just everything that was happening at a wedding but it's a really immersive experience i thought it'd be kind of cool so um i guess all that's to say i rented a uh a gopro 360 fusion i think it should be here this week so i'm going to try and run through and, and put together like a portfolio of 360 images and uh, and 360 videos from a lot of the locations uh you know a lot of the natural outdoor landscape locations that i've uh, sort of come to learn about over the last 10 years of doing uh, landscape photography across oregon and the northwest so i'm hopeful to try and do that over like the memorial day weekend i think it's going to be kind of fun uh trying to hit it hard thanks a lot for checking out this episode of the billy newman photo podcast hope you guys check out some stuff on billynewmanphoto.com few new things up there some stuff on the homepage, some good links to other other outbound sources some some links to books some links to some podcasts links to some blog posts all pretty cool but yeah check it out at billy newman thanks a lot for listening to this episode of the podcast talk to you next time